Well, good evening. Try and get Pastor Mark so we'll stand here to work for him, for me, hopefully. This morning, or this, sorry, this morning, uh, this evening, here we are again at another D3, another, another evening to hear God's Word preached, uh, proclaimed, another e- evening to sharpen one another through discussion, and then what some of us wait for is the, another evening to indulge in desserts. I appreciate the opportunity to come before you and deliver God's Word this evening. And I hope that uh, my prayer for this is is that you will all come away edified as I have been through the study of His Word. So if you would, turn with me to Jonah chapter 4. And as you're getting there, I want to give some background to Jonah. Jonah is, is, is my favorite book of the Bible. That sounds weird, but it is. It's because Jonah reminds me so much of myself. I can relate to it because it describes my journey in life, and most specifically, it describes kind of my journey here at Grace Harvest. Before we leave this evening, I want you to understand one thing, that we need to address the elephant in the room, or or the whale in the room. Jonah is not about the whale. In fact, very little is spoken of the whale or the big fish in Jonah. We often think of Jonah and the whale because that's what we're taught from little kids. And it sticks with us. It is this very fact that a lot of people deny the authenticity of Jonah. They say it is too much of a fairy tale to be true. But the fact of the matter is Jonah is a historical narrative. I love this morning I was reminded by by Mike Dance, of what my brother Chuck Lane said about this. He said, even if God, the Word of God, had said that Jonah swallowed the whale, I would believe it, because it's the Word of God. Why is it so hard for us to believe that this could not happen? And while that's not the point of my sermon tonight, I want you to understand the very real nature of Jonah. You see, Jonah appointed, or Yahweh appointed a great fish, a whale. My daughter thinks it's a megalodon, if you ask her, okay? I don't know where she got that from. Whatever it is, it matters not. You see, this fantastical tale is not so hard to believe when you believe in a fantastic God. When you believe that a God can do what He says and that He is honest and true in what He gives to us in His Word, it is not hard to believe that this fantastic account is a historical event. So let's look at some of this history. Jonah was written in 770 B.C., during the reign of Jeroboam II. We're, we're attested to this in 2 Kings 14.25. Jesus Himself mentions Jonah in Matthew 12.39-41. You see, Scripture itself has authenticated Jonah in both the Old Testament and the New Testament and by none other than Christ Himself. But Jonah is not about the whale. The book of Jonah is really about the most bitter of prophets and God's sovereign grace. So if you would stand with me, if you are able, as we read God's Word, our focus verse tonight, although we will go through pretty much the entire book of Jonah. Somebody said I could preach all night, Pastor. (laughs) Is Jonah chapter 4, verse 9. I have verse 9 on the screen, but I'm going to read verses 10 and 11 also. So Jonah chapter 4, verse 9. And then God said to Jonah, Do you have good reason to be angry about the plant? And he said, I have good reason to be angry, even to death. In verse 10, Yahweh said, "You You had pity on the plant which you did not work and which you did not cause to grow, which you which came to be overnight and perished overnight. So should I not have pity on Nineveh, a great city, 
in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right and their left hand, as well as many animals. Let us pray. God, I thank you. I thank you for your word. God, I pray that you would use me this evening to deliver that word accurately to your people. God, I pray that as we dive into the story of Jonah tonight, God, I pray that you would convict your people. God, as you have convicted me, I pray that you would deliver your people. God, I pray that you would show us grace and mercy. Lord, we thank you for your name is the name above all names. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. All right, you may have a seat. So this evening is about a warning. It's a warning really to Christians. I'll be speaking primarily to Christians this evening. It's a warning not to let bitterness creep into your life. Jonah is a large-scale story of Job chapter 20 or Job 42 verse 2, which says, "I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted." So tonight we will see that Jonah is a progression, or it's more like a, a downward spiral into bitterness. You know, when we read Job, it is concluded with a nice and happy ending. But here Jonah does not end like that. How does Jonah end? Well, I just read you the last three verses of Jonah. It ends with God in His grace and mercy and Jonah in his bitterness. We're not told how the story ends. We don't get that nice, happy, feel-good ending. But let that be a warning to us. And I think we will see that Jonah has three steps involved in his downward spiral. The first one being despising of God's plan. The next one is the despising of God's people. And then finally, the despising of the character of God. First, let's look at the despising of God's plan. If you would, turn with me to Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, the very beginning. And it reads, Now the word of Yahweh came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Yet Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of Yahweh. So he went down to Joppa, found a ship which was going to Tarshish, and paid its fare, and went down into it, or went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of Yahweh. You know, one of the things I love about Jonah is it does not waste time with fluff. You know, we always, every movie we see, every television show we watch, all the stories we have, how do they begin? Well, they spend like the first quarter of it with just fluff, getting to know the characters. We don't see that with Jonah. It doesn't start with, well, one day Jonah was in a nice, bright, sunny field doing his thing, you know, doing this, and, and then, you know, he, he had some problems, and this is how he became a prophet. No. We see God's command right off the bat. It begins with this. Vayahi davar Yahweh, which is, which is, and the word of the Lord is to be, is the literal translation of the Hebrew here. You see, it's kind of awkward when we say that in English. Right? We would say, now the word of Yahweh is to be Jonah. That doesn't make sense to us, but that's how the literal word is. So we use the word came. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah. But literally, what it is saying here is that the word of the Lord is a command that this is what Jonah is going to do. He's not asking. He's not saying, Jonah, will you go do this? This is a command from God that Jonah, go. It is his will. We've already established what happens with God's will in Job 42.2. That no plan of God can be thwarted. What is God's plan for Jonah here? It's that he should go to the city of Nineveh and proclaim what? As far as the Scripture is concerned, we don't even know at this point what the message really is outside of their evil has come up against me and you're go call out against it. 
You know, sometimes God doesn't even give us everything that we need to know, all the little details. Sometimes He just says, go, and I will supply the faith along the way. I will supply the strength. Go. Now, a little bit of background on Nineveh. Nineveh was a very old city, very large city for that time. It was founded by Nimrod. Uh, it was known as the, the city of sin in that day. Even historical references outside of Scripture talk about the wickedness of, of Nineveh. It was, the, it was the Las Vegas of the ancient world. At its height, it was said to be roughly 12 kilometers around it. It would have possibly held 175,000 people. And Nineveh, just so you know, is roughly 750 miles northeast of Israel. So I'm, gonna, I'm doing, I'm, you forgive me if I get this backwards. I'm trying to do it backwards. I'm trying to do it for you guys. So, so if Israel was right here where I'm standing, Nineveh would be up here somewhere on the map, okay? However, Jonah despises the plan of God. The bitterness begins to rise up in him. And what does he do? He runs. He doesn't just try and slip away. He is actively attempting to thwart the plan of God and do the opposite of what God wanted him to do. How do we know that he wants to do the opposite? Well, verse 3 says, Jonah arose to flee to Tarshish. Now, if Nineveh is up here and Israel's here, where do you think Tarshish is if he's doing the opposite? It's like over here, right? Well, not only is it over here, it's 3,000 miles over here. Okay, if Nineveh's here and Israel's here, that's like over there by the piano, okay? He was trying to run as far as he could go in the opposite direction. Now, I want to make things, one thing clear. I, I said in the beginning, I'm talking primarily to Christians here. And... To make a, in an attempt to make ourselves feel better, we like to use phrases like, oh, the bitterness came upon us, or, you know, that, that, that bitterness just it sprang upon me. No, I'm here to tell you that that bitterness, it's already there. It's in each one of us. It's just waiting for a chance to spring forth. It is a part of the old man who is passing away. But while you are a new creation, Christian, do not forget the struggle with the old self is still real. That bitterness is still real. And it can begin to consume the Christian left unchecked. As I said in the beginning, Jonah is a lot like the story of my own life. It's a lot like my uh, journey here at Grace Harvest. And I had this bitterness spring up in me. In 2007, Grace Harvest decided to take its first mission trip to Uganda. Now, Grace Harvest was formed in 2006, okay? So we had about 30 people, I guess, somewhere around there. How in the world is a church of 30 people going to send half of the church to Uganda? That was my complaint. The bitterness started springing up. I would not support it. You see, I despised God's plan. I didn't despise the people. I didn't despise God, but I despised the plan because I said, you know what, there's bigger churches, more affluent churches with more people that are able to go do this. God send them. It wasn't that I hated the people of Uganda. I wanted them. I wanted missionaries to go from somewhere else. Not here. But you know, I know what God has showed me over the years? As I have seen our relationship with the Ugandans grow. And we have, we have brothers and sisters and relationship with brothers and sisters halfway across the world that we would have never had had the word of the Lord not came and commanded Grace Harvest to go. And I believe that's what it was. I was foolish because the relationships that began halfway across the world had flourished into something beautiful. God's plan is beautiful. In fact, just as a plug, 
for the mission trip that is coming up, we are getting ready to send four individuals to Uganda again. Brothers and sisters, support them. If not financially, so pray for them. Love on them. Encourage them. Pray for those they will go to minister to. Do not let the bitterness keep you from being involved in what God is doing. Christian, check yourself. It doesn't have to be missions. It doesn't have to be big ministries. Think about how you react to even the smallest proposals. Now, don't raise your hand. Don't yell out and say, oh, that's me. Think about how in your own heart you react. When you hear some new ministry opportunity to church, what is your initial reaction? Are you enthusiastic about it? Are you willing to help in any way, shape, or form? I might not be able to serve in that ministry, but I can surely pray for it. I can surely go to the people who are and encourage them. Let me ask you this. Are you aggravated that we're starting another ministry that won't work? You don't have to voice your opinion to have bitterness in your heart. This leads me to my next point. Because this is nearly always accompanied by a bitterness towards God's people. Point two is the despising of God's people. As we continue in the narrative, we see Jonah's bitterness strengthen within him. There are many reasons why we despise the plans of God. Jonah despised the Ninevites. They stood for everything that was against the law of God. We know traveling distance wasn't an issue for Jonah, right? I mean, he went 3,000 miles the other way. I don't think going 750 miles was a big deal to him. We know resources wasn't a problem for Jonah because we're told he paid his own way to run. Those were the issues that I had because I thought I knew better than God. You want to know the heart of bitterness? It's a selfishness that we know better than God. You see, Jonah despised the people. He had no love, no compassion. You see, I did not hate the people of Uganda. In fact, again, I wish that God would have sent the missionaries. But I want to tell you something, that the bitterness always leads to having a lack of compassion. A lack of love first for His own people and then for the lost. You see, Jonah did this twice in the book of Jonah. First, let's just continue on in chapter 1. Let's continue in verse 4 and 5. But Yahweh hurled a great wind on the sea and there was a great storm on the sea so that the ship gave thought to breaking apart. And then the sailors became fearful And every man cried to his God. And they hurled the cargo which was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down below into the innermost part of the vessel, laid down and fallen asleep. The root of bitterness is selfishness. Are you so selfish that you care nothing for the things of God nor the people surrounding you? You see, Joseph was so bent on running from God, so bent on thwarting his plans, that he cared nothing for the lives that were around him. Make no mistake, Jonah knew exactly what was going on. There was no doubt in Jonah's mind why the ship was in a great storm. We're even told this. It says that God hurled the storm upon the ship. So that the the Hebrew says, so that the sailors thought the ship broken. If you guys have ever been on a boat that is sinking, you know the desperation in that, where you're like, hey, this is going down, there's not a whole lot I can do to save it. That's that's what these men, 
These are sailors. These are hardened men. This is what they do for a living. And this is what they were thinking. They thought that the ship was broken. This is how bad it was. But in the middle of that, the middle of Jonah, knowing that it was God because of him, he cared so little for the men on that ship that what did he do? He went down in the ship to sleep. We know this from Jonah's response in chapter 1, verse 12. And he said to them, Lift me up and hurl me in the sea when the sea become, and then the sea will become quiet for you. For I know that on account of me this great storm has come upon you. He told the sailors that he knew it was because of him. And yet he cared so little for the other people that he would even let them be swept away in his sin, even to death. Remember our focus verse, Jonah said, he had every right to be angry, even angry unto death. Christian, how far will you go to despise God's plan? to reject God's plan, to try and thwart God's plan out of the bitterness of your heart. The second instance is Jonah, chapter 2, verse 8. Before I read it, I want to give a little background here. as We'll continue through the narrative of Jonah. It says that the sailors woke Jonah up. Of course, we read that Jonah admits to them that the store is their fault. But I want to tell you something. Even in that, who had more compassion? Because even in that, the sailors still tried to save the boat before they threw Jonah over. Still. Eventually, they did end up throwing Jonah over. And as soon as Jonah hit the water, what happened? The sea was still. And enters the megalodon. Or the great fish be more accurate swallows Jonah up in all of chapter 2 is a rendition of Jonah's prayer within the great fish's stomach now Jonah's prayer is often thought as of a great revelation a great high priestly prayer but I beg to differ When we look at it in context, I see it as anything but. Truly, to me, it is a self-centered prayer. It focuses on Jonah's situation and his desire to see the lost destroyed. And serves as a shallow prayer with no real repentance. Sure, there's truth in it. About what God is doing to Jonah. And Jonah acknowledges who God is and what he is capable of. However, when you carefully read through it, knowing Jonah's attitude both before and after, you begin to notice that this prayer is all about Jonah. Verses 2 through 7 are simply put about the situation Jonah has gotten himself into and how God rescued him. Verses 8 and 9 are Jonah's real prayer going forward, and it is the prayer of a bitter heart. How do I know? Because it is the same prayer that I prayed. spending the first three verses seemingly thanking God. But notice the reoccurring theme in this prayer of thanksgiving is I. I did this. I turned back. I shall look again. To be honest with you, I disagree with most scholars here on this prayer. The focus is so much on Jonah being truly thankful to God for saving his life through prayer. That's what most scholars focus on. However, when we look at it, both in context before and after, Jonah wants to die. He wanted to die in the boat. We, we read later in our focus passage, he thinks it is better to die than to accept God's plan and character later. He's not worrying about dying. No, what he has come to accept here in this prayer is that God's sovereign And God's will will not let Jonah die until his will is accomplished through Jonah. Think about that. Now that is dire news to a bitter Christian. To those of us who 
who are not don't have bitterness in our hearts, that is great hope. That God's will for your life will be accomplished. You're not going to die before He doesn't want you to. Before you have, Pastor Mark preaches all the time. He says, you know, for the Christian who says that God's done with him, watch out because you'll be dead next moment. Right? If we're still here breathing on this earth, God has a purpose for us. I've watched brothers of mine pass away this year. Went to a funeral on Saturday. Uh, my dear brother Luther. Man, I, I, I loved, I served along beside here as a deacon passed away you know it even after his death here on earth you know what he did he wrote a letter to be read at his funeral given the gospel may that be said of all of us another man chip feck a man that spent his last days pouring over the prayer lit wall of our website and our church and prayer requests and spending his time praying for you he may not be able to be here, but he said, I sure can pray for y'all. God is not done with us until he takes us home. This is the very fact that Jonah realized is that God's not done with him. Because surely if being swallowed by a giant fish doesn't kill you and God keeps you alive in that, God still has a plan. You see, it brings more importance to the very first words we read the word of the lord is to be jonah saying this to nineveh god's will will not be thwarted by any of our means the heart of jonah is on full display here in jonah chapter 2 verses 8 and 9 we read this is his this is really his prayer part those who regard worthless idols forsake their loving kindness. But as for me, I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. That which I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to Yahweh. We so focus on verse 9. Verse 9 sounds great. Sounds great. But as for me, I will sacrifice to you with a voice of thanksgiving. Ah, that which I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to Yahweh. Truth in that. There is truth in that. But we forget about verse 8 right before it where he says, anyone who worships idols, anyone who is not of you, God, forsake their hope. You see, verse 8 should really be read like this. Those who keep vanities of emptiness forsake their everlasting love. This verse can be translated either forsake their loving kindness, as the LSB does, which I read from, or as the ESV does, forsake the hope of your loving kindness. I think the LSB is more accurate, but I think the ESV gets more to the point that Jonah is trying to make. God, those who worship idols don't save them. Now we can only, given in the context, imagine who he's talking about. I imagine that he is talking and directing this towards the Ninevites. You see, the bitterness of God, of, of Jonah's heart, has caused him to hate the Ninevites. He hated God's plan and now he hates the people. He knows that God is forcing him there. Verse 9 is the prayer of the self-righteous bitter heart. Thank you, God, that I'm not like those. For God, I will serve you. I cannot tell you how many times I have said that prayer myself. I fell into this myself, despising God's people. Not long after we moved into this building, we decided that we should hold a large event open to the community. This was going to be our first harvest festival. Quite literally, it's, it, was, it was as big probably as they even are now. I mean, they really haven't shrunk in size. So uh, to give you an aspect of what that is. And again, the bitterness, as always, was within me. 
never really got over the bitterness of not liking God's plan. I was a grumbler. And my downward spiral into bitterness continued. And I fell into despising God's people. You see, I can imagine, if you can imagine, I was not a fan of having this event. Oh, Pastor Mark used to love me and, and the elders. When I say, hey, Pastor Mark, can I talk to you? <laughs> uh, yep. He's like, yeah, I wonder what he's going to complain about now. The fact of the matter is that was true. This time it was not about resources, space, even distance. We had plenty of that. It was the people. I had begun despising God's people, my fellow brothers and sisters. I thought this event would never work because in order for it to work, we would have needed almost the whole church to show up and work. This is 2010. I can't remember how many people we had there. Probably 50, 60? 60 people we moved into this church with. To put on an event that would host hundreds of people, we were going to need everybody to show up. Well, in my pea brain, I was like, about 10% is going to show up and work. That would have been six people. There's no way this is going to work. We can't do it. I want to tell you something. God proved me wrong that day. Despite, I'm so thankful that we are not congregational-led. be honest with you. I'm thankful we're elder-led because of people like me. Because if it had been people like me running this church, we may not have had that event. We may not have gone to Uganda. But I'm thankful for the faithful, more mature men and women that God has, or not women, but more mature men that God has placed as elders here. And God proved me wrong that day because over 90% of the church showed up and worked. God taught me a valuable lesson that day that He is greater than me. And while I have certainly had my struggles with bitterness since, God is great. And I am so thankful that He has turned me from myself. However, Jonah does not turn. How does this display within us? I want to be honest with you, often this is the most secretly kept bitterness. Think about this. And remember I am speaking to you Christians here. When you hear of a person being put in charge of something, or being part of something, or, or, or going to be a part of something, what is your initial thought? <clears throat> is it, oh Lord, not that person? Or how about this one? Why would they have ever chosen them? How about this one? It is doomed to fail with that person involved. Or how about this one? It would have been better had they chosen me. You see, what you lack is love and compassion. You lack encouragement. You lack encouragement for the people of God. Instead of building them up, you're tearing them down, even if it is only within your heart. And this leads me to my last point. The despising of God's people ultimately leads to the despising of the very character of God. So here we make it to our focus passage of the evening. But before we get there, we just, let's continue our narrative. So the, the megalodon slash whale slash great fish, it vomits Jonah back up on to dry land. Jonah goes to Nineveh. He travels throughout Nineveh for three days proclaiming the word of the God that, that, uh, that God is going to... I want to notice this. You notice that... Uh, Jonah doesn't even say, repent, or God will destroy you in 40 days. No, he just goes through saying, God's going to destroy you in 40 days. 
God's going to destroy you in 40 days. You know what the awesome, awesome thing that happens here is? This is a but God moment. But God being great and rich in mercy. Because what happens? All of Nineveh repent. We're told at the end, over 120,000 people at one time. This has got to be the greatest revival of all time. Over 120,000 people repent. Notice it starts with the people. And then it works its way to even the king. Jonah 3.10 And then God saw their works and that they turned from their evil way. And so God relented concerning the evil which they had spoken He would bring upon them. And He did not bring it upon them. When we repent, which means aligning our views with God's and turning from our own, it is a turning around. You know what we do so many times we want to repent and then keep going in the same direction. To repent is to stop, accept that God is who He says He is. We are who we, He says we are. To turn around and start heading towards God. That's what repentance is. That's what the Ninevites did. From the greatest of them, Jonah 3, 7-9, through 9, says the king and cried out, And Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let man, animal, herd, or flock taste a thing. Do not let them eat. Do not let them drink water. But both man and animal must be covered with sackcloth. And let men call on God with their strength, that each may turn from his evil way and from the violence which is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn away from his burning anger so that we will not perish. Something to know about the Ninevites. They didn't have the Word of God. They didn't know all that there was to know about God. All they knew was the truth that what Jonah told them. God is angry with us because of the way we've been. And what do they do? They seek to turn around, not knowing every aspect. You don't have to know every aspect to come to Christ. But you do have to repent. You do have to turn from yourself. And God makes you a new creation. His grace and His mercy is faithful to those who repent. God is always faithful to forgive those who turn from their sin. God's loving kindness lasts forever. Let's do a quick check on yourself to see if you are struggling with selfishness. The other day, or a few Sundays ago, again, don't raise your hand, Pastor Mark read from Psalms 136. Actually, he read the whole thing. Remember Psalms 136, every verse, I think there's 26 of them, I didn't check that, but anyway, there's there's 20-something. It's a long chapter. Every verse ends with his steadfast love Remains forever. Let me ask you something. What was your reaction after the first five verses? I'm talking about in your own heart, in your own mind. Were you saying, all right, we get the point, that's enough. By verse 10, were you saying, is he really going to read the whole thing? I want to tell you, if it was, and that was you, that reading was for you. Jonah had another problem. His bitter heart never denied that God was a compassionate God. No, he started to despise the fact that he was. He so hated the Ninevites that he could not stand that God would show them mercy. So what happened was they repent. What does Jonah do? Jonah goes outside the city and just waits to see what's going to happen. Because in his heart he knows, ah, no, the Ninevites aren't going to... They're going to just turn right back and God's going to have to destroy him. Watch. You wait and see. He built himself a little booth to sit in. Well, his booth, according to scholars, was very inadequate. Okay? And so it would have gotten very uh, hot there anyway. So God caused this plant to rise up, to grow up overnight, shaded him. 
Jonah was very happy. He said he was exceedingly glad. Then the next morning, God appointed a worm to eat the root of that plant. And it dried up. And here it says that Jonah was exceedingly angry about the plant of all things. You see, Jonah chapter 4, verse 1, what happened with the Ninevites and the, the repentance of the Ninevites and God relenting, it says, but to Jonah this was great evil. In verse 2 and 3, Jonah prayed to Yahweh and said, O Yahweh, was not this my word to myself when I was still in my own land? Therefore I went ahead to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundance in loving kindness, and the one who relents concerning evil. So now, O Yahweh, please take my life from me, for death is better than my life. Shame on us if we would ever think that way when it comes to the salvation of somebody. There is nothing more selfish that a Christian can think of than to think that someone else doesn't deserve salvation. Jonah chapter 4, verse 9, Then God said to Jonah, Do you have good reason to be angry about the plant? And he says, I do have good reason to be angry, even to death. Jonah was so consumed by bitterness that he despises the character of God. He cannot stand the loving compassion God has. And now he can't even stand the sovereignty of God. You see, it was the sovereignty of God that caused the plant to grow and to die. And Jonah was so angry that even God's sovereignty would not bend to His will. Christian, do not let the bitterness of your heart take hold so that you even begin to despise the love of Christ. What does this look like? Are there people that you would withhold the love of Christ to? Are there people that you think are beyond salvation? Are there people that you think don't deserve salvation? In this story, God showed grace and mercy to everyone. He showed it to the sailors. And they worshipped Him. Made vows to Him. He showed it to the Ninevites. And he received God's mercy and grace. He even showed it to Jonah. Despite all of Jonah's bitterness. And God shows mercy and grace. Look at how lovingly God shows and responds to him. We are not told how it ends. We're not told if Jonah... Repents. I like to think that he would, but we're not told that. We're not told if he dies in his bitterness. Quite frankly, it does not matter because it's not in the Word of God. What matters is God is sovereign in all things, let alone His grace and mercy. Do not think that these parties that are involved did not have their own responsibility in this. Do you know, it wasn't a hundred years later that the Nineveh was destroyed because they had turned back to their own ways. Are you going to accept the responsibility God places on us to love with compassion? In 2018, I came to Pastor Mark and and. And Pastor Jamie, who was a youth pastor here at the time, and I told them that I felt called into full-time ministry. But you see, I had felt that call since I was young. I ignored it. I passed it off. I put it all off until later. 
I knew that this was a call in my life. I even told Aaron when we got married, I said, I just want you to understand that one day I'll be in full-time ministry. However, the real reasoning behind my delay was because I felt completely inadequate, unworthy, and unequipped for the job. God certainly had better people He could use, smarter, better looking, more successful men. But the real reason was, God, I liked my life the way it was. I didn't want to have to deny myself that much. I'm happy being the Sunday morning quarterback. And so I ran. I did everything I could to deny and disrupt God's plan until God made the burden of calling so heavy on me that I could not bear it any longer. So in 2018, I yielded to that calling. And here I am, five years later, still not in full-time ministry. However, the old me would have been bitter about that. The elders of Grace Harvest can attest to that. I would have been bitter about that. I would have said, God, what are you doing? You must not know what you're doing. Yet God worked in my life. And I can say, yet here I am, five years later, preaching God's Word. Ministering in various areas where I'm able, where God has moved me. And I'm loving it. And most of all, I'm loving God's people. You see, that was always something that I struggled with was having compassion for people. I have no doubt in my calling from God. If anything, He has confirmed it all the more. However, what about you, Christian? Are you satisfied with the calling in your life? Or are you bitter because it was not according to your timing and your plan? The point is, are you bitter and fighting God at every turn? Are you hindering God's people? Brothers and sisters, let, us serve, let this serve as a warning, a warning to guard your heart against the bitterness that's inside. I would be amiss if I did not give you some key ways to help you defend against this bitterness. I leave you with these two passages. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, I exhort you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a sacrifice, living, holy, and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And to do, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may approve what is the will of God is, that which is good and pleasing and perfect. For through the grace given to me, I say to each one among you, do not miss this, brothers and sisters. Do not think more highly of himself than he ought to think. But to think as to have sound thinking, as God has allowed it to each a measure of faith. And the second one, the second passage is 1 Corinthians 13. What does it mean to love? What does it look like? Love is patient. Love is kind. It is not jealous. Does not brag. Is not puffed up. It does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It is not provoked. It does not take into account a wrong suffered. It does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. It bears all things. It believes all things and hopes all things. And it endures all things. You know, Pastor Mark just finished preaching through both these chapters. I encourage you to go back and listen to them. The root cause of bitterness is a selfish heart with no compassion for others. Let us take off the old things and put on the clothing of righteousness. For the old things are passing away. Let us display the same grace and mercy that was shown to us. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for your grace and your mercy upon me. Lord, you know what a worthless person I was. And Lord, I understand and I am so thankful, Lord, that without you and without your grace, without your mercy, without your sovereignty, without your holiness, and especially without your son dying on the cross for my sins, Lord, that I would never have a relationship with you. 
but God, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God, let us show each other. Let us show the world the same mercy and grace that you showed us. God, may we be a people that worship you. May we be a people that love like you loved. Lord, please help us with the bitterness of our heart. Lord, it's in your name I pray. Amen.